everybody, welcome back to Improv Town. As always, I am your host and ambassador, Clayton Mashad, with another great episode for you. In this episode, I interview Kate and Casey. They are the two co-founders of Wage House Improv Theater in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And in this episode, we talk about starting your own improv theater. So if you've ever wanted to start your own improv theater, but uh, want some advice or want some tips or just some inspiration, this is a great episode. And I think I'm also going to do a mini episode based on this interview, because for about half an hour in the middle... We just get on to the topic of two-person improv, because they do a two-person improv show, and uh, I'm obsessed with two-person improv, so I couldn't stop talking about it, so we ended up talking about that for about half an hour, and uh, I think I'm just going to release that on its own, uh, so that this can stay (laughs) on a single topic. All right, as always, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and enjoy. I think, okay, is it bad if Kate and I, like, turn to each other while we're talking? Like, we should try to direct our voices there. Um, do the classic improv cheating out. As unrealistic as that is I'm taking up all your actual... is that all right? That's all right. Yeah, okay. yeah. Let me know if you need some more. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's start by, uh, so usually like the beginning is an intro. So let's start by talking about how you guys got into improv and start mm-hmm. kind of, like, individually and then merge into how you guys started doing improv together and that'll make the intro and then we'll start talking about the theater okay cool cool i will start yeah (laughs) um so oh and just introduce yourself (laughs) normally it's one person so it doesn't matter but i guess there's going to be two people talking i'm going to be able to tell it on the live feed on the video (laughs) yeah hello my name is kate teichman and i'm excited to be doing this podcast Woo. woo so I got into, I'm originally from Ohio, and I- Improv yeah, Capital. Improv Capital, absolutely. <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of cool stuff happening there. And I, when I went to college, I got my BFA in theater, and I guess it was like right around 2001, 2002, I started, a group of friends of mine in the theater department started an improv practice group. In college? Yes. And uh, basically, we were like hanging out in the theater building, and one of the the theater like lent us a room that wasn't being used at night, and was like, "Here you go, nerds." And we were like, "Great, perfect." And we really just practiced with each other. It was like an open group; anybody could come. Like we had some business students come and stuff, and we really just practiced for a year, doing like short form and just working on scenes and just having fun. And myself and another gentleman were sort of like internally directing it. And people came and went. And then after a year, the guy that was sort of in charge of it was like, you guys, I think we should play out. And we were like, what? No, no one should see this. <laughs> and uh, so then we started doing bar prof. And Ooh, I got my yes. first introduction into doing bar prof at a bar <laughs> that had televisions that played sports. And it's the opposite of how special it is to be in an improv rehearsal in a safe little yes. tiny room yes so there were times where people were just really just cheering for the game and we're doing improv and we're annoying to them and they're annoying to us and then we got like a little bit of a following and people would come to the bar what specifically 
It was something really dorky, and I can't. Was quite... it punny? Like, was it like an improv? Yeah, pun? it was. It was really nerdy. All right, and think on it. So yeah, yeah, I will. But uh, so yeah, we did that for a while. It was super fun, and for me, like, I've always really liked the difference between theater and improv. Like, where theater, you're really working on the script and taking uh, the arc of the play like really seriously and all the language and finding all the moments. And then it's like, boom, now here's improv where we're making it all up together. There's no control. No one should like be in control. And I really like both. And I know a lot of actors that are like, I would never do improv. And I know a lot of improvisers that were, would say, I would never do theater. But I've always really enjoyed both. Uh, they work a different muscle in my brain. So then after college, I moved to Chicago and I still wasn't able to give improv up. It's just always been something that I really liked. So, so what did you move to Chicago for? I assume not for improv or for improv? For theater specifically. For theater. But for theater. I had been, I had visited Chicago and gone to IO. And I was like, oh, this is so rad. They're yeah. doing stuff that is really cool to my brain. So I immediately, once moving to Chicago, also started taking classes at IO. And I really enjoyed that. That was sort of like, I didn't go straight through the program because I was constantly working on plays as well, like doing straight theater. But yeah, I kept it up. I finished that program. I had a really great time with it. Um, I learned a lot. I really attached myself to the idea of like, oh, this doesn't have to be funny. And like, we're making something and it's art and beautiful and weird. And I was like, yeah, I like all those things. And then I did a little more improv in Chicago, just performing on teams and I performed like in my neighborhood at a local bar and then about six years ago oh I also taught improv I started teaching improv in Chicago at a children's theater company and I did like after school programs and camps and classes and that was really fun that was like how I got into teaching improv and I love teaching it's definitely my other passion besides performing yeah and then six years ago I moved here and I've done more teaching, more performing, and now this. Cool. Oh, I actually have questions I want to ask you about. So when you first started, so you just so you started like your own improv and that workshop type thing at your college. So someone else hadn't started. So like, what type of uh, as like having no experience doing improv? What type? Where were you getting like your ideas about what to do? Like, were you were you using like Spolin like? Like her games, or were you like, oh, let's do whose line, or... So all of those things are true. So yes, we were definitely, um, we'd all, like, the core group of us had seen whose line, so there was a lot of that in there. Um, It's also just, like, a lot easier to explain, like, because it was an open group, and people were coming from all over the campus, it was super nerdy, so there weren't that many people coming, but the few that were there... Um, (laughs) Uh, we were, like, it's really easy to explain improv games, like, right. on whose line. So we did a ton of that. We did a little bit of just, like, the Spolin, like, theater games. Yeah, yeah. And then we were also, what's so, one of the biggest things I love about improv is that it's this open art form where anything is possible and no one gets to say, like, oh, you can't do that, you know? Like, so right, it's right, always right. growing and always changing and people are bringing themselves to it. So we were also just being weird with each other and, like, creating stuff that we wanted to create that I don't know that I have a name for, except we were just, like, having fun. Yeah, just improvising. Yeah, just improvising. Oh, and then the other thing, so, so the, the bar prov. So I've been doing improv on a stage for 
a few years, and I still don't know, and, and we'll jump at the opportunity to do any show, right? But I still don't know if someone was like, does your team want to do an improv show at this sports bar? I think that's, I still don't know if I would be like, hell yeah, I'll do any show. I still feel like that is like the one area or like the one environment, venue, whatever, where I would be like, uh, that I would still be like uncomfortable with. And I think it's kind of the idea of like, well, I can like make the commitment to doing improv when the audience has shown up because they're there to see what I'm doing. So there's no like embarrassment because you, if you don't fully commit, then you're just not going to be good. You're not going to actually be doing good improv, right? So if you're doing, if the people came to see improv, then you have to do good improv and you can't be self-conscious and self-doubting and stuff. But I feel like it would be harder for me to like get into that mindset in a bar where it's like, oh, these people, all this, the, what I am doing, the people at the bar think is stupid. It is so hard. So what, yeah, absolutely. You are a little bit of a monkey up there. Like, please watch us and this is fun and you're going to love it. But yeah, improv is such a unique art form in that it can be taken really, really seriously, like almost too seriously sometimes. And then it can be taken not seriously at all. And when you're in a setting, in an environment that's a sports bar, you're already like looking a little bit like, who cares about this? Because everyone is there to do something else, like drink their beers and watch the game. So it feels really unprofessional and um, it's, it's super hard to cope with as a performer. It's so much nicer to perform in a theater and feel yeah. professional. Yeah, it's, it's always important to kind of look for what you can take out of every situation and experience. Yeah. With Barprov, you're not gonna like get a standing ovation and have full like everyone being like, that was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. You blew, blew me away, you rocked my world. I think the thing to get out of it is just your own personal development. Like not worrying so much about the circumstances you can't control. Because there's so, especially in bar prob, there's so many that you can't control. You can't control the noise level. You can't control if people can hear you. You can't control how many people are paying attention. You can't control how much space you have. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And just like still in the face of all that, like letting go of that control and just being like, well, I can control trying to do good improv and having fun. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. That, so like I said, I would be very reluctant to do it, but I, but that's, I don't know, like a, a weakness or whatever, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, so my follow-up question would be like, how does that experience, I don't want to say hardened you, because that's not a good word for really like think, thinking yeah. about, like you don't want to be like, he's a hardened improviser. But like, does that, I don't know, does, does then when you do a show and, and <laughs> you don't get the laughs you expect or, or even the idea of, using the audience's response as affirmation or it's where you obviously wouldn't necessarily you could do something that's hilarious and no one at the bar i don't know just do you think that doing that doing bar prop particularly early on is something that made you a better improviser when you started doing it in yeah, traditional uh, it probably did. It's hard for me to know because it was my first experience performing. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to be, I mean, 
I love that relationship with the audience. As someone that does theater and improv, I am very aware of that relationship. And of course, we want folks to be paying attention to us and laughing and enjoying it along with us. Um, and so, yeah, you do have to, the show must go on. So you, you can't blame the audience. Like we're here getting to do this thing and I'm getting reps in getting to work with the crowd and put a show together that no one else put together for me. I was in college at the time and I felt like, wow, I'm putting my name on something. I've put a show together and me and my friends are showing up and acting like professionals and doing it no matter what. So it felt really good in a lot of ways to me. I could sit there and be bitter, but I had a lot of like frat boys turn around and be like, I remember one time I was out with my friends and I had a frat boy recognize me. And he was like, dude, you performed improv on my birthday. I was at this bar, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you're hilarious. And I was like, hey, I just turned a frat boy on to improv. <laughs> and uh, it was really funny. It's just, it sort of like cross pollinates you with other people that you wouldn't necessarily come into contact. I mean, I am a super big theater nerd. And so I was surrounded by people that were taking performing really seriously, but it like got me out of my comfort zone. And uh, so it was a really good experience. I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad I know what it feels like to do it there versus what it feels like to do it at a theater. Yeah. Yeah. I also like the point that you, these aren't the words you use, but kind of like the idea of going down with the sinking ship, which is like a thing that I think a lot of people will struggle with when they like feel like the scene isn't going well. You, rather than doubling down, they kind of like pull away and they're like, make it try to like make it obvious that they don't think the scene is good so that everyone else knows. Oh, I'm not a part of this. Yeah, I'm not a yeah, part of this yeah. shit scene. Right. As, as opposed to being like, this house is burning down and we're going to dance on its ashes. Absolutely. And also our egos were so small. We were just like, great, if we suck, awesome. We suck. And we tried it and we did it. And improv is disposable. So throw that away. Yeah, we'll it's toilet back. paper. Yeah, we'll be back next week and... I'm not going to do that scene again. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you, you know, started off, you know, maybe if like the first time you ever did improv was at IO or something, it would be, in, in so, you know, you're used to getting big audiences and then people laughing. I feel like when things went bad, you would have much less coping experience. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I think coping skills in terms of like, I'm not getting the reaction that I wanted from the audience or I just said this like thing and it feels like no one thought it was funny or there's n there's two people in the audience, there's a hundred people in the audience. Like, those skills are just as important as your improv skills. Just being able to be like, no matter what, like I'm still committing and I'm, I'm here and I'm not bailing on anything. Yeah, I think that's an important lesson to learn in improv. And I feel like that might be a, you know, Doing bar prop is probably the one of the strongest ways to reinforce that lesson, maybe. Yeah. And I gotta say, at the end of the day, like, as not fun as sometimes is doing bar prop is, you, like, compare it to, like, some... So those are, like, our war stories, like, our trend... Like, one time we did this show and it was so bad and terrible, but, like, I'll talk to my stand-up friends and they'll be like... Oh yeah, and then this guy threw a bottle at my head. And I'm like, well, that's never happened to me. And he's like, it happens a lot in stand-up. And I'm like, well, 
all right, well, so like having people not pay attention to you is way better than getting bottles thrown out your head. Yeah, I've definitely had shows that I've felt like shit afterwards yeah. or at least at least there's one that sticks in my <laughs> mind uh, but yeah I don't think it's ever as bad as bombing a stand-up set yeah being out there by yourself and like and getting like booed up like yeah. as you leave people are just like booing you it's so aggressive and awful it breaks yes. me as a human yeah absolutely and it's not for me yeah I don't know if it is just the expectation of like I'm so important. Look at me. Look at like versus improv is like inherently ensemble. They're on your side. Yeah. yeah. You have a team with you. The audience for the most part, just like in theater, they're on your side. They want you to succeed. Like you might not make them laugh and they're like, right. We're standup. They kind of don't want you. If if they don't know you, if they don't know you, they don't want you to succeed. Cause they're like, it feels like a lot of times they're judging you. This person isn't funnier than me. Yeah. They're like, are you going to make me laugh? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we go off on a t- bash stand up, um, was that uh, so? Then, then you got here. Then, when did you guys? Um, is that a good? Do you want to start and then like merge? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. So right. I've talked a lot already, but this voice <laughs> this is voice. <laughs> the voice you're hearing now. Uh, my name is Casey Calderiso. I um, started improv in college, and. Um, I was an athlete growing up and I went to college like, oh, I'll be an athlete in college. And I wasn't a good enough athlete to not have to work, work, work my butt off and like ride the bench. So once I kind of realized that, I was like, well, I've given all of my high school years to sports. I don't want to give all my college years to sports because it's you're very dedicated to it. It takes up a lot of your time. So it's like, I've always kind of been into acting. Like I've always said like I would like to do acting. And so I, well, I transferred schools and I started at Fairfield in Connecticut. And I was like, I'll audition for the first play. And that was a great school because you didn't have to be a theater major to audition. It was just always open auditions. So I went and um, they confirmed what I always have thought is true in that I'm very bad at scripted things (laughs) i'm just like a robot and like i freeze up my my vocal delivery is terrible i can't act like off of a script i can't act so but they like i don't know they saw something in me and they're like you seem like a good person like you can you can try out for improv auditions next week and i had no idea what it was but when i walked into the theater like everybody started applauding like they applauded for everybody that just walked through the door that is so cool. Yeah, because I've was heard really other cool. people who were like, especially in like more theater, theater heavy improv. Here's a like, yes, no offense, Kate, but theater people tend to be antisocial. Oh, no, no offense, <laughs> So you so and you also, walk into the room and nobody makes eye contact yeah. with you. Nobody recognizes. Cold you. as ice. Worst interview <laughs> process out there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a great. I would recommend to, yeah. the, to the listening audience, you should do that. Right, and it's really like spoke to me in terms of like always being on a team on sports, like just on sports or in sports? In sports. I always liked being on a team. Like you had each other's backs, like you were dedicated, you were selfless at times, you were always pushing yourself and um, kind of sacrificing for the greater good and improv from the get-go felt like that to me. And then also walking into such a supportive environment 
knowing nothing about improv, I, I was just hooked. And at Fairfield, there were already like two teams. So one was long form and one was short form. And it was kind of an unspoken varsity, junior varsity type breakdown, but you auditioned for both. Or the, but sh- the short form was the JV? Short or? form was JV. Okay, yeah. Yes, it was. But at the same point, they didn't turn anybody away. So they would form these other little groups. So you'd have like 80 people audition, 10 would make the long form group, 10 would make the short form group, and then you'd have 60 other kids that like if they wanted to stay on, they'd be like, well, find some student who wants to direct a group or you can, you guys can just like come and we'll form a third group. And that's, that's really what it became. So that was what I kind of threw myself into in college. And it was, a lot of it was experimental in the best way. Like we didn't run like, we didn't run the Heralds. We like had three hour rehearsals where like I hid in a pile of leaves for like two hours, two and a half hours. <laughs> I was like outside. A cool. real pile of leaves? Yeah. Or an no, improv pile no, of leaves? No, a real, we like started, we started this rehearsal and it was like an organic start and our director never stopped it. So you just kind of start, continue to if then, like if I'm this character, then what would be the next thing? And you were interacting with the other characters and my character was just like, hide get outside and hide like because like half of us were outside at that point i was just if like I'm hiding in a pile of leaves what would i do next i would continue hiding yeah. what would i do next i would continue hiding yes it was like it was i mean like it was uh, you had to be there i love this be, so much you know but it, like it was so cool to me obviously that stuff does not translate into a bar show <laughs> but we had yeah, they weren't even, they weren't even on the, they weren't even on the stage i don't know what what are the girls just left I went out later, she to have a cigarette. She was in the dumpster. I don't know what was going on. No. She was just hiding. But kudos to her. She's never looked happier. <laughs> and She was so yeah. committed. I was so impressed. We had one show a semester. And so it was just a lot of play. It was a lot of experimentation. And it was so cool. And while I was there at Fairfield, they, they kind of cut the program down to the one long-form team. And my friend Bridget and I, we were like, that cannot happen. So we formed a club improv team called Your Mom Does Improv, which I believe still exists as a club oh. at Fairfield. It's Your Mom Does Improv. So it's like, it's, Your Mom Does Improv? Is that I the think, inflection or is it? I don't know. I forget, I think it's just like, you do Your Mom it. Does Improv. Maybe it's that. I don't know if we had a like, you could put your own inflection on it and we would be fine with it. But it was, <laughs> it was in the same spirit of we didn't, we never got turned away. Like if we showed up to an audition, we never got turned away from the opportunity to do improv. So that club was anybody who auditioned was on a team one way or the other. So we had a lot of different teams and I got to, I got to teach through that and coach through that. And that was, that was really great. And I was still performing on the long form team and my director senior year kind of set us all down and he was an alumni and he was living in New York city and he was just like, you know, so many of my friends who loved improv in college stopped doing it and now they have like kids or they have big jobs and they're they're not doing improv and they'll tell you they're not as happy and they want to make time for it but then they don't make time for it so his advice was if you love doing improv if you need improv in your life always find a way to do it and 
So I just have dust in my eye. I'm not crying. It's <laughs> <laughs> such an emotional <laughs> It's a... <laughs> So I, I'm from Rhode Island. I'm from Middletown. And uh, in Newport, there's the bit players. And they were auditioning. They were just starting around the time I was set to graduate. And I was back for spring break. And I auditioned for the bit players and got in. So I was already on the bit players, like, ready to come back for the summer, move back after graduation and start on the bit players. So ever since, pretty much ever since I started improv, Going on 11 years ago, I haven't stopped doing it in one way, shape, or form at the advice of that director. And it brings um, a tear to your eye. Yeah, it's just <laughs> dust. It's just dust. So, when you started doing, was it like, um, so you said you started doing sports? Was it like, was there an overlap or was it like an immediate transition or was there a time in between? The first college I went to, I was kind of working out with them and training to be on the basketball team. And that's when I realized, like, I will work as hard as I can. Like, I've never – I'll work harder than I've ever worked in my life to possibly be a walk-on and then ride the bench. Like, I was, like, pretty much going into, like, a head-on Rudy situation. (laughs) Like, just, like, maybe they'll let me play senior year (laughs) after showing up to every practice and game. If we're Um, we're up or down by some huge sum of points, maybe they'll let me. Then maybe. Um so that was my situation and being in college I was like there's a lot of other stuff there was a comedy club at the school and um so I did like a sketch with them and I was like this is really fun and so I just didn't it was that school was in California and it was just too far away from home for me being an 18 year old so I moved back and I transferred to Fairfield so there was a big there was a big gap but so you did sports sports and only sports at the first school and then improv and only only in yeah yes and do you feel like it was this isn't the right word but like a perfect substitute like going from a like team ensemble you all get together train in the in the sports thing and then moving to doing improv where it's kind of the same thing you have a team team is the most important thing you have to have some sort of group mind be all I'll be on the same page. Like, do you feel like it was a natural, yeah, maybe this is the right word, a natural transition? Yeah, it, it was definitely um, a lot of skills, you know, like teamwork and commitment and dedication. So showing up on time, showing up ready to work, all those things that I learned years of playing sports through were very applicable to being on an improv team. Just like, hey, I got your back and we're going to go out there and a thing that's really transferable for me from sports is kind of like that game day mentality of you know if it's game day like I'm focused I'm showing up I'm giving it my all same with an improv show if it's show night I'm showing up I'm coming prepared I'm coming focused and out on stage just like out on like the field or the court like I'm there in the moment and I'm focused and I'm gonna do my best to to pull through no matter what the circumstances are. Um, so that definitely was transferable to improv, just being like two people in the audience or a hundred people in the audience, like I'm gonna adjust and I'm still going to to make it happen. Cause that's what you do in sports. It's right. like you, you adjust, you're playing an undefeated team or you're the undefeated team. Like you make the adjustments and you have to make them quick and on the fly and that's, what I really love about both sports and improv and both kind of really melds when you describe improv to people, it's really easy to say like, cause a lot of the time they'll be like, well you rehearse. So that means you know what you're going to say on stage. 
So we're like, no, it's, it's kind of like doing layups in basketball. Like you do layups and you, you run a bunch of different plays, but once you're in a game, you're adjusting to what the other team is doing. You're adjusting to all these circumstances. You're just combining all those skills into playing a game. And that's how oh, I describe improv too. Yeah. That's kind of like a great metaphor. I guess in sports you have plays, but in that, well, I guess it's like, it's, no matter how much you plan, once things start moving and the other team is in different places and not where you expected them to be, then it's like, oh, well, I was going to pass it to this person who's going to pass it to this person. It's like, well, now we can't do any of that. Because yeah. Now there's somebody person, standing right under the basket, just passing the ball. I guess that is, I never thought about I that, that. That's kind of like the... Brad was the first person who said that analogy to me, and I've used it ever since. So. Brad Rohr of the Chuck and Brad podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is that is like kind of, yeah one of the most salient kind of ways to think about it that you do like you practice all the time, and it's really to get everyone on the same page, have everyone know what it feels like to do something successful know what the other people are likely to do but then when it actually happens you have like on game day you have no yeah. idea what's actually going to happen but it's like well i know that this person's gonna react this way to this or i Absolutely. know this person likes doing accents whatever um, yeah and you have all the tools right that's that's really what it yeah you work about. your form your yeah. technique and then you put it in the your right. show yeah all right, so we got to you're both in Rhode Island. We're both in Rhode Island. And now how do you meet? Do you want to say your earliest memory of me? And I'll say my earliest memory of you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you go first because I've been talking a lot. So I first saw Casey perform in um, Sky Punch. Sweet. Yeah, and she was just a super stellar player. Yep. And, um, I probably saw you perform in Sky Punch a long time ago, but probably. I can't because I saw them once at like the basement of like local one. Local one twenty one, yeah, 21. yeah. And like Dave Fazelli was on the cast. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah, you saw her at Sky Punch. Yeah, and then I, uh, we both were in jams together, and then proceeded to like be on teams together and also write sketch comedy together yeah. through Empire Review. So we've had, for me, we've had like a lot of different experiences, but I think when we first met, we both sort of locked in on each other and we're just like, oh, what's your background? Like, where are you coming from? And I remember us having like a weird beer together um, in yeah. Warren where we were both oh, like, oh yeah, tell me your improv yeah. background. Was that, was that at Crossroads yeah, Club? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was super fun. So yeah, I think we were both just uh, in admiration of each other's play and yeah. and sense of, yeah. yeah, showing up and doing this thing and taking it seriously. Yeah, my <laughs> earliest memory of you was I was at an improv show and you were like, I was in the audience and you were sitting like a few chairs down from me in the audience and you just, you were like, 
hey, how's it going? And I'm like, it's going good. And you told me where the bathroom was. <laughs> like, you just offered the information of where the Midwestern bathroom was. Midwestern Ohio. <laughs> just, just so you know, if you have to go to the so, bathroom, yeah, I know you exactly where door, it is. Take and a left. I, like, I had been there a bunch of times, so I knew where the bathroom was, but like I didn't know you, so it, I was a little like <laughs> caught off guard at first. I was like, okay, thanks. Like, yeah. But and then it was, it was still just like. Oh well, that was really nice of her, like to assume I might not know and want me to be comfortable and informed. Um, so now this is like a, <laughs> a like a callback because now at our own theater, I constantly <laughs> wa- I yes, ju- I walk people to the restroom. I'm like, can I give you um, the tour? That was the first um, thing you did the first time I came to the theater. <laughs> yes, Let me show you where the bathroom. I I want people to know how to be comfortable once they've arrived at a show. I don't Do like people. Like, I don't know this about you per se, but like, do you, is the first thing you do when you arrive somewhere is I have to go to the bathroom? Like, no. That... Do you have like a traumatic experience where what? You, like, I don't. You couldn't you find think, a bathroom you and paint your pants? You would think. I, no, I mean, I, I have a, I have a, I'll go into an emotional story. When I was really little, I know I did go to the bathroom um, on the floor of a car dealership. I was very little and my parents were very upset and somebody walked in it too. Like it was number two. And, uh, <laughs> But uh, but I was very little. I was at the. I think I was in potty training mode. Um, and my mom was wow. just like, "Oh crap! Like you crapped on the floor." And I was like, "Yeah, I did." She was like, "I can't take you anywhere." And I was like, "No doubt." Well, just point me to the bathroom immediately. Yeah. So maybe this is all maybe. coming from that moment. She was like, "Make sure you it. always know where." You know, I think I'm just like very. I tend to talk to everybody. I tend to. Talk well, to anyone and everyone, and then I yeah. want people to know, like, I can help you out if you're at all. I'm very yeah. helpful. I'm a helpful soul. Yeah. <laughs> and we, like, and you're right, like, you go back to, like, we just met for a beer to kind of be, like, I think we, through, like, getting to know each other and, like, we would hear some grapevine, like, oh, this this girl, Kate, and, like, you heard, like, oh, this girl, Kate, and then we saw each other perform, and I always think of, like, improv hearts, like, everyone has their own, like, improv heart that's into improv, and, like, they kind of vibe with other improv hearts and then you find like a, a similar heart to yours and you're just like, it's time There's to get not here. Du- that's dust in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I think that like your, your um, innate reflex to always tell people where the bathroom is, <sighs> is like part of who you are as a person. We also are both like have a lot of experience in the hospitality industry so that works as us as theater owners because we are both like seeing like three steps ahead of like what the customer might need. Is that the first thing that you would say when you went to greet a table? Be like, hello, I'm Kate. I'm going to be taking care of you just in case you need to know. Yeah. The bathroom is down Before that Before I even get liquid into you, yeah. let me make sure we've covered this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's why we work as, we were drawn to each other like as performers and people. And then it got to a certain point where we were like, yeah, we could definitely start a business together, too. So you guys, as a duo, not only run the theater, but are Kate and Casey, right? The improvising duo. The improvising yes. duo. Yes, Um And so you just mentioned the starting a business together. So how long was Kate and Casey a thing before the theater? Not at all. Not at all. Okay, so I don't, our, I don't, know, our, I don't know any of this. Background. Our first show together as a duo was opening night of Wage House. 
Oh. Yeah. Fun fact. Fun yeah. trivia. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. So we had, like like Kate said, we had done Empire Review together, and we were, it was really easy for us to write for each other and write sketches like we were in together. Um, so that was always great, but we never, um, and we were, like, on a few teams, in, on a few teams yeah. together, but never, never as a duo. But when we were opening Wage House, we were thinking, like, well, if we're going to... We're, if we're going to put that pressure on anybody's shoulders to perform the first night, then, like, might as well be us. So that's, yeah, that's where we it were was, born. Yeah, I was like, all right, let's... We just opened. Who knows who's going to come here? Uh, so we will... We'll be the ones to take that burden on. And also... We've never... We've never... We've never uh, performed just together. Let's do an hour-long, two-person improvised yep. set. Now, now mind you, we did rehearse. Uh, a few times. A few times. A few times. Jake Goldman coached us, yeah. so how, yeah. I mean, can't get much better than that. No. But it, it, it does, like, that duo and that, like, just kind of putting ourselves in that position, I think it does, like, speak to, you know, the confidence we have in each other as performers. Like, just like, well, I know we could pull off an hour. I know we could do it, like, because we're both aware of different show elements and we're both aware very aware of timing i think the first few times jake coached us we were like all right jake we want to go an hour so time us and i think we called our own show like the three times we rehearsed i think it was like 58 minutes 60 minutes and three seconds and then like 59 and a half minutes so we both <laughs> that is knew... most people can't even do that with a 10 minute set yeah so we both like kind of were very aware of show pacing and that's that's that story yeah so like the general topic i want to talk about is like starting a theater and uh and that type of stuff but but i'm super interested in two-person improv so before we talk yeah. about that talk about i want to talk about doing two-person improv all right. So with that digression, I guess I should go to the next topic, which is starting your own theater. So you just said you had your one year anniversary. Sure did. Yeah. Yep. Sweet. So yeah. So usually, like with each for each episode, I try to like pick a, a topic to inform the listener. So where do I want to start? I'm going to edit out all this pausing. <laughs> but, um, all right. So, I'm a person who wants, who's always wanted to start my own theater. I'm mm. thinking about doing it. Mm. What advice, what would you say to me? What advice do you have? What pros and cons or like what, what factors would you yeah. Have me weigh, and then I'll ask follow-up okay. with that super, super well, broad question. I mean, I if you're listening, please have the, um, please understand we've only been doing this for a year, so our yeah, It's about starting a theater, not necessarily true. running a theater. Yeah, um, you know, like that's, um, I think for, for us it came down to a lot of, Oh yeah, why do we do this? Because we love it. And we feel like we have something to give and gain from this experience personally and to give to others. And we had some, you know, Casey and I always tell people like we are performers first, we're uh, educators second, and we're theater owners 10th. 
10. Um, business people. Business yeah. people, 10. But we have, we have successfully used a lot of improv skills in doing <laughs> this. Like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to bring myself to this experience, whether I know how to do it or not, and, and trust that we're going to figure it out along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, like in any improv scene. I don't know how this is going, but I want to do it, and I'm here, and I'm going to give it my all and best. And yeah. I think there's been a lot of a lot of hats that we've had to wear that we didn't know how to wear, and we figured it out, which is really empowering. Yeah. And also there's been a lot of moments that were crunchy and hard and weird and scary but we're at the end of the day we have this space and we can put whatever we want in here and that's amazing like to have our friends who are so talented be like hey have an idea for a show and they they kind of like tiptoe up to us as if there's going to be all this red tape into getting it to happen and all we have to say is yes to them and they're like really we're like yeah here's a date you can do it and they're like are you serious? And we're like, yeah. And like, that's it? And that's a, that's, I mean, that's the most amazing feeling. There's nothing more satisfying than that, than providing this situation for each other, for our friends, for people that we want to celebrate. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind for me is as far as things that are satisfying goes with having a space is, oh, I have this thing in my head. Then I work really hard and now it's true. So it's like we, for Wage House, we got to make a lot of choices. How do we want the space to look? Like, what do we want to have people experience when they come in? What do we want on the stage? And it's so cool to have an idea in your brain and then figure out how to yeah. make like make that happen with whatever constraints you have or limitations and then see mm-hmm. it come true. Yeah, just yeah. like improv. Yeah. Just like improv. I, I would say, would, like, if you're to anybody who's like, I would like to have my own space to do it we've been very fortunate with finding a space and kind of things falling into place along the way because you definitely can hit roadblocks you definitely can find things that are out of your control in terms of like the business side of things so we've been very lucky in that sense it's like every bridge we've come to we've been able to find a way to cross and here we are a year later Um, we've been very very lucky and fortunate through that um But for anybody who's thinking like, yeah, I'd like to have a space like that of my own. It sounds great. It's just a matter of taking it step by step. So we decided on our first step, like, hey, we're going to do this. What do we need to find first? We need to find a space. Let's take this step to finding a space. We found a step. We found the space. What's the next step? And just continuing to, to walk forward in that way. And hopefully nothing gets too in your way where you can't make it happen and very, very fortunately, we haven't found, we didn't find things that were impossible for us to overcome. But um, yeah, just give yourself permission to do it. Don't psych yourself out. Just like, obviously, don't don't sell all your worldly possessions. Like, be smart about it financially. Like, don't, I mean, if you feel like it can be something like you want to put everything on the line for, do it. But also, you can be smart about it and you don't have to like risk everything to do it. You can kind of find ways to make it financially feasible for you without, uh, and still within your vision without being like, if 30 people don't come to the show tonight, I'm, I have to sell my dog. That's not necessarily true. So um, I, I hope that makes sense. 
in terms of like, you know, you don't, you don't need a bunch of money. You don't need to risk everything you have. You can, you know, try to try to do it in ways that work for you and, and fit the vision, fit the vision within those, within those things. Like there were things that we would have loved to have had when we opened and yeah. we weren't able to get them a few until a few months in or we weren't able to get them till a year in or we still haven't gotten them. Yeah, um, nothing's perfect. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. You're always going to be but, chipping away. Yeah, our main goal was to have a stage that we were that we w- could put what we wanted to on it in the way we wanted to and offer it to other people to put work we believed in on it and I mean, that's the driving vision and everything else is kind of debatable in between then as to what like we're willing to I wouldn't say cut corners is the long term. I would say what we're willing to bend on for the moment. I'll give an example, Clay. Like when we first started, we didn't have refrigerators for our beer. So we just put <laughs> beer in a bucket in coolers. <laughs> we with got ice. ice. We'd we drag bags of ice. We were here. buying six bags of ice a week and putting it on because we were like, all right, well, we just need to open the doors and maybe in a few months we'll have enough money to buy a couple of fridges. Now and we have two fridges. Now we have two. We have two. We Ooh, need a bigger one. That up. But yeah. Ideally we would have a bigger one. Yeah. But we can But we're fancier know. than we were. We were fancier. Twice than as we fancy. Were. That's yeah. right. We haven't bought a bag of ice in months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. If that's not a success story, <laughs> I don't know what is. I can't tell you what is. Yeah. It's dust in my Name eye. Name a better success story. <laughs> um, okay, so I have a bunch of just small. So did you guys have to get any financing or anything to open the theater? or? Fortunately, no. Fortunately, we were able to... Um, we kept our startup costs really reasonable for us. And that was... That was pretty much it. We were able to start it up for an amount that we could manage and then recoup those startup costs. And again, that's why I speak to like, you know, don't, you don't necessarily have to. And we're fortunate. We're not in New York City. We're not in Chicago. We're not in LA trying to, trying to get this done. Um, Right. Yeah. Theater space would be much more expensive in Chicago or New York. Absolutely. Uh, So we just really were like, what do we need to open the doors? And is that feasible for us financially? So it was, so we kept moving forward and then worked to kind of recoup that. Cool. And so you guys are wage house. Yeah. Uh, So you don't have improv or anything in the name. And, and so, well, so two, two part question, do you guys refer to yourself as an improv theater or, or a comedy theater? I'd say both improv comedy theater. Put those, of course, put yes. those right. words together. Not, not, <laughs> not dramatic improv. Well, not anyway. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, we, we bill ourselves as a, as an improv comedy theater. No, we're not like improv house. It's not in our title, but. Our like subtitle is improv comedy theater, and we've had primarily improv, but we do do um, other shows. Like our friend Jake Goldman did a one man show here. That was more like variety. Yeah, variety. He also does a late night talk show, which and is that's more coming variety. back. Yeah, season two of that. That's our like a Ginny comedy talk show. Dunleavy did a, a storytelling show, but I I would say we're and we do stand up once a month. Yeah, but um, you know it's kind of. We don't, 
worry too much about that kind of title. Like improv comedy theater, we're not like, we have to put improv on the stage 100%. And I think a reason we don't is because there's the, there's the improv in LA or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. the famous stand-up, and they're, stand-up yeah, comedy They're club. called the improv, and, yeah, and like they're, a sta- they're purely stand-up. So it's like, well, you can just you can do what you want. Like, there's no hardest and fast rules. Yeah, I was just wondering if that was something that you guys, like, debated or thought about whether, just for, like, Google's sake, you know, like, Rhode Island improv or anything, you know, whether, like, whether you thought that there was some benefit or whether there was no benefit, which you guys obviously leaned towards that side of bothering to put, like, improv in the Yeah, I think we were both aware of the choice to not, like, that we did not make that choice to put improv in the title and the name, I think we just more importantly wanted to have a name that took on its own meaning so that once Wage House was established, when people said Wage House, they knew exactly what they were talking about because yeah. Wage House is Wage House and nothing else. So that it, the name of it took on the culture of the actual space. Yeah. So it was so a name yeah. that... Just like the improv is a stand-up place. It's yeah. not an improv theater. Yeah, that's a super... Ooh, I, I love that. I'm glad I asked that question because, because yeah, that's a super, that's a super kind of cool. I like that idea of, of like if you put improv in the title, like say you're just whatever you were like, we're the Pawtucket Improv Collective or something. Yeah. Um, then like you, obviously you can have your own identity, but you're but you're like already establishing yourself as part of an established uh, community. I don't know, whatever. But yeah, like being able to have... It take on a... Right, by not having having those generalized terms or like broader terms in the name. Yeah. Yeah, it does allow you to like become your own cult as opposed to just... What are those things called? Cells? Sleeper cells? Um, of of some sort of like like where does a Dell close sleeper cell whatever yeah um, yeah I so yeah. yeah that's super cool I w- I wouldn't have thought of that I think if I like in my mind it would be like oh you should put improv in the title just for literally yeah. like for and we Google's totally understand that yeah and yeah. I, that's definitely in our subtitle um, yeah. and yeah, a lot of our like, marketing things but I think this is great advice if you're thinking about starting anything it's just like well do it how you want to do it and then be open to adjusting if it's not working. So we really wanted the name that we wanted devoid of certain buzzwords and with the, with the understanding like, well, if there's nobody coming through the door, obviously we have to make an adjustment. Maybe that's in the name and we'll be willing to do that. But hey, to start, why don't we just do it exactly how we want to do it? Yeah, I think that's all. Yeah, right. That's also great advice, right? Not that you want to lose money for a month, yeah. but like, if no one is like, right, why not do things exactly how you want to do them at the beginning and then only adjust as necessary? Yeah. Rather than, not selling it, but rather than like... Rather than over worrying about trying to be everything to everyone. Right. And I think uh, P-Graph, you said it was on a previous podcast, and um, Roy from P-Graph had a, a Facebook post because they own the Hideout Theater yeah, yeah, in Austin. Austin. 
Um, and it's kind of like become a mini mantra to me. Like he runs the hideout and he had a, a post one time that it was just like, you know, basically the post was um, the hideout theater can't be everything to everyone. And we have to run it and guide it in our own vision. And that's going to make some people happy and that's going to make other people not happy. And that's just what it has to be. And that's something that really guides me. And I shared that with Kate. And so it, you can't worry about, you know, oh, it doesn't have this in the title or we don't do this. So we're, we might not attract like this, this like subgroup of people or anything like that. It's like you, you just have to kind of be genuine to yourselves and you'll attract the people who, who you're meant to attract. And then if you need to attract more people for business purposes, then you have to make adjustments. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, I think that's super great advice. For artistic directors as well as as theater owners, that like you can't, some people are going to be unhappy with the vision, and that's not it's not necessarily a fault of your own that you yeah. right. There's no vision that's going to make every person. So yeah. thanks, happy. Roy. I never. I don't think I liked that post. I don't think I commented on it, but I re, I related to it and I use it often. <laughs> I still have a bunch of other. Random question. So, you guys sell booze. Beer um, and wine. Beer yeah. and wine. Double <laughs> <laughs> time. Because some people come in like, give me the vodka. And we're yeah. like, eh, we don't have that. So, so yeah, beer and wine. <laughs> give me a dream. Uh, okay, so, two-part question. Yeah. What did it take to, like, get a liquor license? Like, was that, was that like, a, a process? It order? is a process. It's yeah. super hard. I mean, you, as someone that is not um, familiar with that world of licensing, it's confusing. And we celebrated so freaking hard when it happened, when we received it in the mail. I will never forget this day. So Casey and I, we went over we were on the phone so many times with the paperwork in front of each other with the paperwork like for all sorts of different things but definitely the liquor mm. license was included in there and then we obviously drop it off and send it off and um crash your fingers and your toes and then i remember we had been working that day like it was like a five-hour meeting day we were doing a million different things together and we both got in the car and left and i was on my way back home and my phone rang and I pulled over on the road and answered it because it was a, a local call, but I didn't know the number. So I answered it and she was like, hey, I just want to let you know that your liquor license has come in. So I have it here at the office. You can pick it up anytime. And I called Casey. She was still on her way home. And I was like, it happened. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. <laughs> and she was like, we should go get it right now. So we both drove back together, then went to... Uh, I think um, City Hall. Yeah. And got it and then immediately got a beer because we were just like so yeah. on cloud nine, like electric with excitement. Um, I like how you, the first, before you started that story, you're like, we celebrated so hard. Yeah. And in the, the end, it's off, like we had a beer. We had a beer. <laughs> <laughs> the celebration was inside our bodies. It was, it was. like, yes. I was so, I know what you mean, but. My heart was pounding. Like, I was like, it's awesome. Yeah. But you don't know. It is scary yeah. as someone that isn't super familiar yeah. with these type of things. I mean, it's not. It's not necessary for for a space to exist. It's not necessary. It's just. It's just nice to have. It's easier to kind of sell people on it. 
you know, come to a show and you can have a beer. Um, that That's really nice. And yeah, that was a choice we both were like, that yeah. would be great if that can happen. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So I guess that leads to the part two of that question, which is how much does it generate revenue versus how much does it just make it a cooler space so then that brings in more oh it definitely generates revenue i would say it's it's worth it both financially and like we definitely make money off of it like in the theater because with improv tickets are cheap they're five bucks everywhere or most places um, there's usually a free option at some theaters to see improv. So you're not really making your bread and butter on your ticket sales. So yeah, it definitely generates another form of revenue. And I think it also helps create the culture that people are like, oh, I can also get a drink there. Great. I'll, I will become a patron. I will, um, I'm going to enjoy my time more or be more apt to come knowing that aspect. And alcohol is, of course, always conducive to oh, yeah. comedy and, yes. and laughter. Absolutely. Yeah, so so uh, going to like the revenue question versus, so you guys teach classes. Yes. So that's just like another question. The So I guess you, I guess, kind of established three streams of, of income, the bar, the tickets, and the, and the teaching classes. Yes, so we teach... Um, We've done like workshops, intensives, and then our regular curriculum classes. And then we've also done a number of corporate workshops as well. Cool. Yeah. So that's a question that I want to ask you, but I'm going to think about corporate workshops. But um, I'm going to wait, hold, hold out on that one. So, and so you just teach classes in the space that you already have. Correct. For the theater, right? Yes. And so... So a lot of theaters, like I, like I know UCB, as far as their actual like theater, theater, like their shows, they were like in the red for, I don't know, a long time. And it was only like the money that they were making from the school was, you know, is what allowed them to like keep the theater open. Like they wouldn't have been able to keep the theater open without the school. Absolutely. They weren't. You're a more, the most of your bread and butter, your money is going to come from classes that makes perfect sense to me that that is the truth for their theater. Um, and right, especially yeah. in this, right, especially the cost of the space in the city. Absolutely. Right. And you know, we are, we're a small operation. We have not grown past our capabilities. So we don't have a ton of people on staff. We don't have um, a lot of people that we're necessarily paying, but yeah, classes definitely generate the biggest income source. So, yeah, so let's just, just general advice for other people that do theater. So I know the corporate, doing the corporate workshops are obviously just another revenue stream. So I guess the, the two questions would be, like, how do you go about finding those opportunities? And then the second question would be, like, how do you sell improv to business people? Like, to the people who are going to hire you to do the workshop. Yeah, I think uh, just getting your name out there, really. You know, talking to people, especially business people that you meet, that um, even if they haven't seen a show or know what improv is, just speaking to the different skills that improv has to offer and um, kind of selling improv to them through that way 
is is really valuable. I think word of mouth is really big for us, like talking to people ourselves rather than like taking out an ad in the paper or, or something like that. That yeah, seems to be more effective. We definitely get a lot of repeat customers. So within a company, one sector will work with us and then the, we'll get a call from some other branch or some other part of the company. So that's been great too. Yeah. I also think we're living in a time where improv is getting more well known. Right, between and like applied applied improv network and, and things absolutely. Like that. So businesses are seeking out um, folks that can help their team with team building and listening and um, public speaking and active listening. All these skills are sort of people are starting to understand. Like, oh yeah, we need to work these skills and understand them. Yeah. And improv fits right into that really nicely. I think in terms of selling yourself to people who express interest is just being really prepared um, with what you're coming to the table with and communicate well, get back to them quickly, just kind of all those all those things. And having confidence in your quote-unquote product. So they're, they might be iffy, but you really do have to do the work like no I'm confident in this like this is how it's affected my life positively and I think it could do this and like yeah just kind of being a good salesman in that effect so we're we're performers first and teachers second and business people tenth and probably sales people like eighth yeah yeah <laughs> twelve and so um just other random questions like how is like advertising and stuff like work out for you like are there are there things that you feel like like in hindsight like oh maybe we that wasn't a successful advertising thing versus like that was really good because I'm pretty sure if you type in like do you I'm pretty sure if you type in like Rhode Island improv I think you guys will will you guys come up as like a sponsored top first ad or something mm-hmm so just as far as like, you know, for other, if you, if I was going to start an improv theater and I was like, well, I think maybe I'll do this advertising or this advertising, what ones would you say like, oh, this was definitely worth the money versus like, we wouldn't do that again? Um, I think just really getting feedback from the people who actually walk through the door. If they, if they don't look familiar to you, asking, you know, how they heard about you and getting, and getting that feedback is important because uh, there are certain marketing opportunities out there that are like we we reach 80,000 people by doing this and if none of the people who are walking through the door as new customers are saying that's how they heard about you then it doesn't really matter if they reach 80,000 people if that makes right. sense um so just kind of comparing uh the actual feedback you're getting from people versus how much it costs you to do that marketing. And um, I mean, in our first year there were, we, we tried to do a little bit of everything. And now in year two, I think we're really stepping back and saying like, well, let's not do that anymore. Let's do this. And I think it tends to be the things that are a little more cost effective while being effective in reaching people because those people are doing their jobs very well. Like, you can reach a million people by giving us like a thousand dollars and we're like oh we have to do it we can't we can't not reach a million people and then you kind of realize like all right well none of those million people walked through the door for us 
So there's a lot to be said for the more cost-effective things, and there's a lot to be said for word of mouth and just having having good reviews from people. We we ask people to review us. We don't necessarily like jam it down their throats. So it's been really nice when people leave. It's been a nice surprise. Like, oh, thank you. That was really sweet of you to check it out because we never want to be inauthentic in that way. You know, like I don't want my like, I don't want like, I'm, I'm not going to be like, hey, dad, can you leave me a Yelp review? Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I always want those. I always want those to feel authentic. And th- so that that goes a long way, too. When people do find us, they'll do some research and they'll be like, oh, wow, like they seem they seem legit. And I think we've gone to sources as well. Like we like Casey mentioned, we've thrown a lot of stuff at the wall and seen what stock. But I think, too, we've also been cognizant of what ways that advertising works on us for these type of, you know, it's like, oh, if I was going to go out and I was looking for something to do, where would I look? Where would I personally, Kate Tegman, go look? Like, do I look at this publication? Do I, you know, go visit these sites or whatever? And just being aware of ourselves too, because that's important. It's like, well, we would, I go see comedy, you know, like I would, I would go. So where would I find that out? Where would I go be looking for to try out a new class or something new and or a great like night out or something. And also think like we're we're a thirty six seat theater. So we're definitely small scale. So we don't thankfully we don't have to necessarily spend as much money to fill the theater. But you know, something to keep in mind if you are thinking about your own space, how many seats are you gonna have and you know, that could potentially raise the amount of money you'll have to spend on marketing just to to fill fill that space that you have but if in the opposite end if you're only planning on having 10 seats then yeah definitely uh be very frugal with your marketing and you can make it happen be very diligent but you know you don't have to right then you don't necessarily want to reach a million people because it's like there's a million people people knocking on your door and you have to turn all of them away yeah yeah (laughs) So just kind of being being aware of that and just being diligent and working hard on your marketing can save you a lot of money in the long run. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of had the same issues with like just, you know, with advertising the podcast, even Facebook, it'll be like, oh, pay this much money and reach, you know, reach a thousand people. And then it's like, oh, your ad thing ends. And it's like, you got three three link clicks yeah it's like oh it reached a thousand people but only three of them cared. Right. and like, how much did you spend on that like you you definitely have to be diligent in looking at that information that's very true and like advertising for a podcast might be totally different than advertising for a theater so yeah something with a very local right there's like you don't get any benefit from someone in los angeles or very little benefit from someone in los angeles knowing being like oh they that seems mm-hmm. cool yes absolutely other than like you'll be walking down the when we go to los angeles we totally fully expect to be walking down the street and people are like hey you're from that 36 theater wage house <laughs> right right am i right wage house i'm beverly d'angelo <laughs> Yeah, I was Oh my god, at... if Beverly D'Angelo recognized us in LA, that'd be the best day of my life. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the stats for the podcast, and it was like, way more people listen to this in San Francisco than in the entire state of Rhode Island. That's awesome. That was like, so interesting. I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. 
It was like originally. This is just more improvised. What are your like yeah. tag words? words? Just like improv, San Francisco comedy, interview. Yeah, yeah. San Francisco Bay. <laughs> yeah. So just, I guess this be, I think this is like the last question. So no. so despite Rhode Island being a small state, there's a pretty good like decent amount of improv. So there's like contemporary theater down in Wakefield that yeah. does like Johnstonian or like narrative long form stuff. Bit players yep. do like Who's Liney short form in Newport. Obviously the Providence Improv Guild does like Chicago style. And so then entering that market where those things already exist. First question would be like, are those factors relevant? Or going back to like you said, like what you said, Casey, of just like, well, we want to do what we want to do. And then if we have to adapt, we will. So like, A, is that something that even factors into the type of theater that you start or like what you would focus on? And then, and so then a lot of those places also, well, at least two of them, CTC and PIG, teach classes. And so then you also want to enter, you're also not just entering like the theater market, but like the improv school. So then is that also something, I guess I'll start with the school since I <laughs> didn't let you answer the first part of the question. Is that something where like you'd come in and be like, oh, well, there's already a school that maybe like the teachers are similar. So pig teaches you have a book kind of Chicago style, long form, Del Close inspired, IO, UCB style improv as opposed to Johnstonian or or Who's Line. And they have like levels one, you know, one, two, three, and four. And you guys will teach, you have like an, an advanced character class and advanced scene work and stuff. So is that something where you're going in and being like, we should teach like complementary not complementary but like advanced stuff like classes that don't already exist like yes they have their kind of like this other theater might teach foundational stuff so we should teach like advanced special topics or or is it again just like not at all like we're just gonna yeah i i don't think we're doing a ton of comparing ourselves or or looking at what other folks maybe have on the table and deciding how that fits in with the mix. I think, you know, I'll I'll back up just a little bit and say, had I, so I lived in Chicago for about seven years. Had I stayed in Chicago, I wouldn't be opening my own theater because there's no need, right? I'm not going to do that. Casey and I have both been a part of improv, the growth of the improv community here in Rhode Island, which has been really cool to watch. And Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's been really fun. So I think we're both aware that people here want to do it and they're thirsty for it. And there is, um, there's folks out there that can, that are, will welcome more. And then I think we're just more looking at what we have to offer. What can we bring to the table? We both love teaching and we both have our own take on stuff. So we're, more than happy to be sitting at the table with the others while they're doing their thing. There's always going to be differences, but we're less yeah. focused on what they're doing and more focused on, Hey, here's this thing. Like we offer just, we offer foundational stuff ourselves and all sorts of different stuff, but we're more coming to the table saying, here's what we have and we're proud of it. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, so the, kind yeah. of the same thing with, yeah, like you were saying, like, yeah, doing what, yeah, doing what your dream is and not necessarily. Absolutely. I think, like, having your own take on it is, in, is important. Like, improv is such a collaborative yeah. art form. I mean, most so... people repeat levels multiple yeah. times, even within a single theater. Because different, somebody different taught it. And, Absolutely. Like, um, just because like they're in a different place now and it, there's a lot of different a lot of different things and it's like people respond to you speaking from your and teaching from an authentic place so you know if Kate and I are just like here's what we know we're going to teach it to you very confidently and very clearly versus us like opening a, a improv manual and like teaching and quoting from that like people aren't really going to dig that as much as just like, I like the way they say things and how they say them and their energy. And that's, that's really like our stance on that. And I think it's so cool to be able to add our, ourselves into this really for like such a small state, such a big improv community. Like we have, like three different like schools we have even more theaters we have two improv fests like it's so yeah. great because it's like don't comp- it, there's no competition there's no need for competition it's like great so in june i can see like x y and z headliners at the ocean state improv fest because that's who they're into and that's who they want to bring to their improv fest and i can turn around in september and at piff they're bringing three different headliners in with different workshops and I get to see them because that's who the people running PIF are interested in seeing and want to want to bring to Rhode Island and it's like awesome bring it all bring it all on like take as many classes as you want be on as many teams as you want have all the improv fest you want just like let's have a hundred more all of the improv babies I think great. That, uh, yeah, I yeah. think that's a great place to end with all of the improv all babies. All of the improv babies. Woo! Babies! All right. You've been listening to Improv Town. If you enjoyed this episode, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're in the Rhode Island area, don't forget to check out all the great local improv. Pig, the Providence Improv Guild, has shows every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 8. The Contemporary Theater down in Wakefield is currently doing Maestro Improv at 9.30 on Fridays, and the Bit Players do Shore Form down in Newport every Friday and Saturday night at the Firehouse Theater, and that's BYOB, so that's always fun. You can also check out Improv Jones, Rhode Island's longest-running improv show, on the first Saturday of every month. That's down at the uh, AS220 Black Box in Providence. Last but not least, there's a new improv theater in town, Wage House, which has shows every Friday night at 8 in Pawtucket. And many of these theaters also offer great improv classes, so don't forget to check those out as well. I'm sure Google can help you find everything you need. See you next time.